Hi, and welcome to a brand new episode of The Art of Customer Service brought to you by Digital Compact. So let's start. My name is Eric van Müller. I'm your host on this show, a former canoeing world champion, father of three, and founder of Solvemate, a leading platform for customer service automation. Our automation platform, powered by smart conversation AI, allows companies to deliver quality customer service faster. On The Art of Customer Service, I talk to experts about what makes good customer service, which tools and practices are relevant, which new technologies are available in the customer service area, and many other exciting topics around great service experience. Today's episode on The Art of Customer Service is about the effortless experience. This podcast will be talking mainly on the concepts of the book The Effortless Experience by Matthew Dixon, Nick Toman, and Rick Delisi. Some reviews title it as a classic in the CX space. I can say I like the concepts in this book and probably there's not a lot of disagreements in this podcast, but more of an embracement about a great customer experience, great service. So stay tuned for great insights and practical tips. Today, I've invited the author of the book, uh, the effortless experience with me. It's Matt Dixon on the show today. He's a multi-time book author, frequent contributor to Harvard Business Review, speaker and advisor for sales, service and CX. And currently he's working as a chief research and innovation officer at Tether, a customer insights platform that listens to customer conversations and derives actionable insights. It's great to have you on the show today, Matt. So the word is yours. Welcome. <laughs> Eric, thank you so much for having me. It was uh, great to get the outreach from you and uh, wonderful to be on the show with you. Awesome. So let's deep dive directly onto the topic. So you wrote a book about the effortless experience. Can you quickly tell me what your motivation was to write that book a few years ago? Oh, uh, the motivation to write the book. I, you know, I think maybe I start with a bit of uh, uh, the backstory. So we, um, when I, that's what the listeners want to hear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when when I, um, this is the part that's not in the book. <laughs> so it, maybe um, this is what uh, the, what possessed us to go and write a book about this. If I go back to maybe 2007. Uh, at the time, I was running a research team uh, that was studying customer service and customer experience. It was for a company uh, at the time called CEB. CEB was acquired in 2017 by Gartner Group, so it's now a part of uh, the larger Gartner organization. Uh, we did research for big companies around the world, and we sold it to functional leaders. So in my case, my team focused on doing research for call center and customer service executives and leaders at companies all over the world. And we would sell that research uh, to those companies on a subscription basis. And so the way we, our business worked is that every year we would go out to our clients and ask them, you know, what are the big topics that you would like us to go do research on? What what do you really need help with? You know, what do you need benchmarking on? What is what do you need best practices on? And at the time, if I roll back the clock to 2007, the big topic everyone was really thinking about at the time was around customer loyalty. And if you remember, that was right around the time that Net Promoter Score really started to become a big deal uh, in companies around the world. It showed up on it, you know, in your bonus plan, on your scorecard. It was, it was all the rage. And um, there, there started to be, across companies, I think quite a bit of pressure on customer service. I and mean, as Eric, as you and I have talked about previously, a lot of companies see customer service as sort of a necessary evil, right? And you and I, I think, agree. <laughs> necessary evil. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it, they don't want to do it, but they feel like they you have to have a place for your customers to reach out to, but they kind of cheap out on it. They outsource it. They try to automate it. It's 
they uh, they don't put a lot of um, attention in it, not nearly as much as they should, because it is central uh, to the to the company's strategy and, and value proposition, as I know you and I both agree. But nevertheless, I think if you go back to 2007, at a time when the CEO and the chief marketing officer and the CFO and everybody's focused on net promoter score, questions started coming in uh, to the head of customer service saying, what can customer service, customer service feels like a an area of exposure for our business. What can we do in customer service to deliver an experience that would really get our customers to give us a good NPS score, to want to advocate for us, to tell everyone out there that they know, their friends, their family, their coworkers, that they should do business with us as well. And so we started, uh, you know, we started our research first by understanding what's the conventional wisdom out there as it relates to the impact of customer service interactions on a customer's loyalty. And just to be clear, when I say loyalty, the way we define it is the likelihood of a customer to come back over and over to renew their relationship, um, the likelihood of that customer to spend more money with a company, and then the likelihood of the customer to spread positive word of mouth. That's kind of that advocacy net promoter concept. But we sort of use a three-part definition. And when we, we, we did the research around what the conventional wisdom was, and at the time, you know, the conventional wisdom really was, and the, the accepted thinking was, well, everybody knows when something has gone wrong for the customer and they reach out to the company for help, they call that customer service phone number, they send an email, they have a chat interaction with an agent. It's not enough to simply do what that customer is asking you to do. If you really want to create a loyal customer, you've got to do more than what that customer expects you to do. You've got to surprise them. You've got to delight them. You've got to wow them, you know, blow them away with a surprising, wonderful experience. That's the key to delivering customer service that builds loyalty. So that's how it started. And I'll tell you, our when we went into the study, what we were expecting to write was a study about what are the best ways to delight and surprise and wow and exceed your customers' expectations. But what we found, as you know, because you read the book and we could talk about, is that that whole strategy doesn't make a whole lot of sense when you actually study it with data. So, But that's we, we, spent, we spent the better part of... You know, a surprising finding, I think, that that was meant to, um, again, it was planned to be a three-month study turned into a 10-year study because we didn't find what we expected to find. And and the more we looked and the more we probed, the more surprising things we found. And eventually, you know, um, a number of years later, we pulled up and said, okay, we have enough for a book. And that's why I guess we're just gluttons for punishment is why we wrote it. So. <laughs> that is a great backstory to um, how you came up with that topic. You just said a wow moment and you know we've heard the zappa story of delighting customers and like how to go the extra mile for client a lot of people talk about this but do you have maybe one or two like practical practical examples of what does a wow moment mean yeah it, you know i think it means different things for different companies certainly um, we we're all familiar with those stories that you mentioned uh, the zappo story um you know the the They have an ongoing competition there. I think you know this about who has had the longest phone call with the customer. And I think they, the current record is like nine and a half hours or something, during which I think the customer told the representative their entire life story. You know, and they, it was like a counseling session. But you know, there are, there's a very famous story in the U.S. Um, uh, about Nordstrom, who is a high-end uh, department store, um, you know, a clothing uh, retailer. And this, the way the story goes is that a woman showed up at the Nordstrom one day. She had bought a pair, uh, purchased a pair of snow tires for her, for her car and uh, decided she didn't want them, and so she was bringing them back. And where the Nordstrom was, there used to be a store called Tire Rack that sold tires for cars. 
And she showed up with these snow tires, which she had, you know, very heavy, and she'd work to get them in the car and bring them all the way down. And suddenly the tire rack wasn't there, but there was a Nordstrom. So she goes in and she asks the the person in the men's department, do you know what happened to the tire store? Uh, I've got these tires here and I'm trying to return them. And he actually said, you know what, we'll just take them back for you. And they gave her a store credit to Nordstrom. I mean, Nordstrom does not sell snow tires, but that's a great example of a delightful experience, a wow moment. And, you know, the reality is these things make very good press releases. They make for good television commercials. They make for good blog posts. Um, but I think if you, if you think about delight in practical terms, what it means for most companies is exceptions. So it means exceptions to policy. So for instance, if you are, if you are a manufacturer of, let's say you make uh, consumer electronics and you have a one-year warranty on your device, it means giving the customer who has had their device for 14 months and it, something happens, giving them an exception and doing an out-of-warranty replacement or service. It means free things. Um, uh, giving things away. Um, it means a longer talk time. It means uh, more escalations. But, you know, it means, again, breaking the rules, but in a way that's like, hey, I'm going to do this for you because we we really want to, you know, wow you here, want to delight you, want you to be a customer for life. But I think when you think about it, that's, and we when we look at companies that delight, they say they're delight brands, they spend about 10 to 20% more on average on their, their service operating model. So it's it's not insignificant um, what companies will spend to try to delight their customers. Super cool story. Um, thank you for sharing that. One example just came to my mind um, when I was running, oh, that's such a long time ago, like back in the 2010s, um, uh, I was running an e-commerce company and a father ordered sporting shoes for his son and we sent him the wrong size, but is what the birthday of the son. So he called customer service up 24 hours prior to the birthday saying, well, I need those uh, football shoes for my son. And what a colleague of mine did, a customer service agent, he said, we didn't have in stock, I'm sorry for that, but right now on the phone, I'm going to a competitive store, I'm going to order them on Express for you, and they're gonna be at your place tomorrow morning, which is one of those things where you said, that's an exception, of course we shouldn't order this, and of course this was a not a good investment for this individual person, but and you can't always make those exceptions because they're just economically not viable, but it's about when someone has such a big issue, like an emotional one of his son being football lover and he doesn't get the new shoes, kind of, he was really a raving fan of my former company back then. And when you say 10 to 20% more, is that meaning in the full P&L on the cost side or is it only in a customer service department? Uh, it, it would be in, t in customer service, so not, not the full P&L. So if we look at the cost of service, so cost per contact, for instance, it's about 10 to 20% higher. And, you know, but, but you're right, because when you start adding in a lot of the other things, so what it would cost the company to, you know, to buy a pair of football shoes from a competitor and then, you know, pay for the shipping and get it over to the, the, uh, the customer, any of these kind of situations, it's not even including that, right? So it's, uh, so it's, it's actually quite a bit more than that if you look at the, the overall impact. So if you boil down the effortless experience to, and we're going to talk about the concepts in, in a minute, yeah. to you should invest... 10 to 20% more than customer service, and you will get a positive, very long-term return on investment. Is that kind of the gist of it? Well, so what we found um, in our research, as I mentioned before, this, you know, these delight moments, while they have a lot of impact, I think, on those individual customers at, at different times, and as I said, they make for a very good press release and story, what we found is when we tested it with data, um, that it that the whole, as a strategy for customer service, is probably not the most economically efficient approach. And the, the reason is, not so much that it costs us money, because it'd be fine if it cost 10 to 20% more, and then we had to make some exceptions and buy some things from our competitors. That would be fine 
if what happened is our company grew in excess of that, right? Or, or our retention rates were even better or our cross-sell and upsell rates were even better. But what we actually found is in the data that those customers who were delighted were actually no more loyal than those whose uh, expectations were simply met. And so what you find is that... Oh, that's counterintuitive. That's an interesting insight. Very much, yeah. So it, it was a, a bit of a, um, a point of diminishing returns. So what we found is the point of maximum utility for a service organization is to deliver consistently against the customer's expectations, but don't do much more beyond that in the name of delight. Now, here's, here's the thing. There's a couple of big surprises there. One is the benefits relative to what companies think of delivering what the customer expects are enormous. And companies think there's not a lot of benefit of simply doing what customers expect you to do. In fact, and it might speak to the fact that companies, unfortunately, don't get this right very often, so the bar is pretty low. So when you actually deliver good, solid service, it is actually very delightful for the customer, and it is kind of a wow moment in today's world. And then when you go beyond that, when you start making those exceptions, when you start doing going above and beyond, with the caveat that it, you know uh, those for in certain high emotion situations, it does make sense for individual customers. But at scale, when you look at it, customers those customers tend not to in aggregate they tend not to renew at any higher rate, they tend not to buy any more from the company, and they tend not to spread positive word of mouth. In fact, um, this was the surprise, right? So we, we did not expect to find this. What we expected to find was, of course, delight is the right thing to do. And the real question is how to delight. Because there's so many things a company could do. And it, with limited budget, you want to make sure you do the, the best things for your business and for your customers. And what we found was that, this again, this conventional notion of delight didn't really pay off. And so the, the second question, we kind of took a step back. And the second question was, well, if service doesn't tend to, you know, wow moments and delightful service doesn't drive positive loyalty, what is the impact of customer service on a customer's loyalty? And what we found was actually... Before you answer this question, Matthew, let me quickly summarize for our listeners. Yeah, yeah, please. Overfulfilling expectations helps, yeah. but it does not change the loyalty of a, of, a, of a client. I found a very interesting parallel, you know, as a CEO, I'm running a company and it's the same like, if you once do a cool team event where you have a cool beers and a party, which is like doing that extra shipping for this shoe or this Nordstrom tire example, it doesn't make, it doesn't fix the underlying question of, do you have a great company culture? Do you have a purpose and a mission and a great atmosphere to work? Which is the, you said at scale, you can't make parties to make people happy and you can't send them chocolate, your clients, to make them buy again. The underlying experience must be awesome, uh, which kind of... Yeah, well said. Uh, you know, one of the things that people ask me all the time, they say, well, are you saying we should not delight or we shouldn't be in the business of delighting our customers? And, and what I say, what I, my response is typically, no, that, that as a business, there's almost no point of being in business if you're not trying to delight your customers and exceed their expectations. But we need to be thoughtful about where we do it and how we do it. And so if we think about a business, let's take, a, let's take an example of a, a business that makes products for, for customers and sells products to consumers. It makes a lot of sense for that product to delight the customer, to be better than your competitor's product, to have surprising features and, and, and exceed the customer's expectations of, of how it performs and how long it lasts and, and how much fun it is to use or whatever it is. It's got, you know, to surprise the customer with how much cheaper it is is another great way. To surprise the customer with how awesome your brand is, to, you know, to have that kind of brand where you know, your customer's proud of it and they want all their friends to know that they bought a pro this product and they're a card-carrying member of this, you know, company. Those are great things to, the great moments to delight your customer and surprise them. That builds positive loyalty. What we found, though, is when the product breaks, 
And when the customer reaches out to you for help, that is not the time to delight. You want to have it effortless. You want that's the time to make it easy. In fact, you know, just to, to what we were saying before, what we found is unfortunately across companies, there's a four times greater probability that a customer will leave a customer service interaction more disloyal to the company than loyal. And so it's not even just that wow moments don't pay off. It's that on average, we are making our customers more disloyal to us. And if we unpack that disloyalty effect, what we find is exactly as you said, it's a gauntlet of high effort experiences that we ask our customers to endure. So simple things like asking the customer to um, call back three or four times to chase down an answer to their request or sending a customer to a digital channel where they can't find what they're looking for and they get confused and frustrated and then they pick up the phone to call. Or asking the customer to tell their story over and over again or transferring them to another department uh, or just even treating them generically, not like a real person, um, you know, treating them as a number uh, or as a, an account holder or account policy number. You know, These are things that create a lot of effort for our customers. So the big takeaway is look, Look, guys, go and delight your customers. Make a great product that outperforms your competitors, that is very differentiated and unique. Create a sexy, exciting brand. Have a great store experience. Have a great sales experience. Have a great digital presence. All Have a great price and value proposition. These are things that you absolutely should delight your customers on. But when that thing breaks and they reach out to you for help, make it easy. That's the number one thing we can do in customer service. Get them back to what they were doing before, which is... Maybe they're doing their job. Maybe they're spending time with their family. Maybe they were on vacation. They don't want to be dealing with this problem. So we, our goal is to make it as, as efficient and as effortless as possible. Make service easy is really the big takeaway of the book. That is a great summary. I haven't yet written a book about customer service, but I, I can just confirm that time is the new gold these days. I'm, I'm having the feeling that the more we are, like our world is getting more digital and more specialized. There is more shops, more things, more apps on my phone. And I'm just expecting things to work because I'm Amazon, Netflix, Spotify. And if Spotify doesn't show for five seconds, I'm feeling this frustration. And, and I try to not feel this because I'm so <laughs> delighted on having instant yeah. TV with Netflix everywhere, not making any advertisements here. But we live in an instant economy. And we are used to getting everything instant. Even in two hours, we once ordered uh, rain shoes on Christmas because they weren't delivered on the 23rd of December and it just worked. So you want to have everything instant and effortless because every company makes things effortless. We have access to music, to uh, everything, to all goods of the world. And the only thing that I feel I don't have, like people don't have in a first world country, of course, only talking about luxurious problems, is time. And time... I'm feeling is the most valuable results that if I'm stolen yeah. time in customer service, when I'm already annoyed because things don't break, there is, I think there is multiple, multiple ways of approaching that. I really like this concept of the value irritant metrics. It was, I think, five episodes before on this show, which is find out the ones that are of low value for the client and of low value for the company and automate those away. And then there is these, these meaningful conversations where you want to have something done and it's of high value for you because either you want to get your money back or you want to solve a problem or you want to buy something and the company wants that too, which creates this upper right quadrant in the value irritant metrics. And then just get people on the phone right away and help them and delight them and um, make them happy and turn them into loyal clients. You, there's a couple of things in there, um, Eric, that you said I, I really like. One is um, you know this idea that I think it surprises companies sometimes that you know they always want to compare themselves with their competitors, 
But if you think about from a customer standpoint, who do customers compare your company with? No matter what company you're in, you might be in a electric utility or the banking sector, or you might be an airline. They compare you to Amazon, Netflix, and Spotify, as you said. Yeah, you know? that is true. <laughs> it's true. It's like this Amazon effect has really um, changed the game, and I think it's it's unfair because it's a very different business for many of the listeners will be in businesses that are much more complicated than Amazon's business. But, you know, it's unfortunate, but it's the fact. And, and as they get better and better using new technologies, um, solving issues in an automated way, using virtual assistants, and they're constantly resetting the bar. And then that expectation is you call your bank up or you call your cable company up or you call your airline or your hotel company in and you don't understand why they can't, if you know Amazon figured it out, why can't you guys figure it out? So it is resetting the bar all the time. Now, I, I think that, and it's part of the reason, you know, when we talk about exceeding the customer's expectations, oftentimes uh, people will ask, say, well, how did you define what is meets expectations versus exceeds? And, and we didn't define it. Uh, we left it up to the uh, customer to say, you know, in their own mind, did they feel that the company exceeded expectations or fell short or met those expectations? And the reason is expectations are a changing bar, right? Today, my expectations, though, think about five years ago, what you could do on even Amazon's website pales in comparison with what you can do today. And it's so it, that bar is constantly changing. And then the the metric point you made, I, I have a, I'll throw out a framework for listeners. Um, I was wary of doing this on a podcast because it's easier if you had a slide. But it, it, close your eyes, unless you're driving. Don't close your eyes. But imagine, <laughs> imagine this. Um, so uh, let's imagine a four-cell um, framework. This is how I like to think of loyalty. On the one axis, on the vertical axis, we've got the effort of the experience. How hard is it to do business? Easy or hard is it to do business with the company? Obviously, uh, the way ease works is hard is at the bottom and easy is at the top, right? Because it goes hard is that you know is a zero, easy is a ten. You always want to have on the top the good things. The good things. You always want to be in the upper right. We're going to go there. So, <laughs> and then the horizontal axis is what I would call stickiness of the value proposition or stickiness of the product or brand even. So that goes from low to high. Um, so where we want to be, and I use Amazon, I, I, I always use that as an example, is uh, Amazon Prime. And I think that which they, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, have in, in Europe as well, right? So this is the, the there's, everyone has it, right? <laughs> it's, um, everyone has it because uh, everyone is ordering on Amazon. That's, yeah. It's a bit of crazy, like a near monopoly, but it just works for a lot of things. It works for a lot of things. And, you know, where, where they are a great example of that upper right, which is, it is an incredibly sticky value proposition. So sticky, in fact, that Amazon, I think, every time they raise, they, I don't even know what I pay for Prime per year. I have no idea. I it just, I and they could triple it, and I would still pay it because I get the music, I get the videos, I get the shipping, I get all these other benefits. I get Prime Day, I get all these benefits, and it's it's a no brainer. I mean, we're ordering from Amazon almost every day. And then when things go wrong, I even created an own Amazon category on my <laughs> on my on my private finances, you know, categorization <laughs> yeah. app. I created an Amazon Amazon category. <laughs> I don't want to do that because it would be a big slice of the pie. <laughs> but uh, but on the other so Amazon, very very sticky on very on, sticky. on the one axis. Right, it's a great product. It's a great value proposition. It's also incredibly easy to do business, especially when things go wrong. I'll give you a quick example. Um, my personal example with Amazon. I um. You know, during the pandemic, I think we all experimented with different ways of interacting with companies that we didn't try in the past. One of them for me was ordering groceries and having them delivered. Um, Amazon owns uh, Whole Foods in in, uh, in North America, so that, you know, the organic grocery store. And so we would order uh, groceries from, there's a local Whole Foods, but we didn't want to go into the store because of COVID. And so we would order and they would bring the groceries. Now, 
it's a pretty manual process. They, there is a person who actually gets your grocery order and then goes through the vegetable section. Then they go through the, you know, you get your pasta and your bread and your all your things. And what happens sometimes is they they screw up the order. So I, I remember once some of some of the things are very funny. I ordered um, like a jalapeno pepper, a spicy pepper, and uh, I got a green one of those green peppers. You know, you put in a salad like bell pepper, and it was. You know, and I think for the person going through the grocery section, they said they're both green and they're both peppers, so I'll give them. I don't see jalapeno, so I'll give you this. So I opened up a chat with Amazon. And I said I got the. You know, they immediately the the bot said which order is it. I said it's this order. I said what was the problem? It was this item. What what specifically happened? Did you get the wrong quantity? Was that was it bad produce? Uh, bad quality? Um, did you get the wrong item? And I said it was the wrong item. And the bot, I mean, I never even talked to anybody. It wasn't even a human being said, we're going to refund you the cost of that. We apologize for the inconvenience. Like your credit will appear in 48 hours. And so a really easy way to solve a problem. And I've had other problems with, um, with ish, you know, just every once in a while you get, you don't get the thing you ordered or it's poor quality or it's broken and they make it incredibly easy to solve the problem. I've never called Amazon for anything. You know, it's, it's phenomenal. So then the lower left, unfortunately, is where you find a lot of companies where they're hard to do business with and the value proposition is not particularly redeeming. And I think sometimes in those other quadrants, it becomes interesting because you can have companies that have, uh, they're hard to do business with, but it's sticky. And sometimes the examples in, it's a sticky value proposition. Sometimes the examples in that quadrant would be, let's say your bank or your cable provider. They're not your landlord. <laughs> I was thinking of the landlord. <laughs> Could be the landlord, right? But yeah. these are com- this is where the switching costs are very high. So what I call that is captive loyalty, because you know sometimes it's just. Or I'll give you another example near, near and dear to your heart, um, uh, uh, being from Germany. But uh, I had a number of years ago a BMW, which I loved that car. It was a wonderful car, <laughs> but course. it was so ex- it was so expensive to maintain. It. So it was it was like I loved it, but I hated it. So it was um, when it worked, it was wonderful. But when I went into the shop, it cost me a thousand dollars every time I I left the shop. No matter what, I, I have to get the oil changed. They found other things, and it cost me a thousand dollars. So that's another place where I, I, it was hard to use. It was hard, but boy, it was a sexy car and it was an exciting brand. And then the other quadrant, you have you have those those experiences that are very easy, but they're not particularly redeeming. The example I might use there is um, we have a local grocery store near us and ho- at home. It's not the best grocery store. The produce is sometimes a little iffy. You know, this the prices aren't the greatest, but it's right down the street. We can always get a parking spot. And if we need something in a pinch, we're, we go there, we're in and out. And going to Whole Foods is wonderful, but I've got to find a parking spot. The lines are long. You know, it's a whole big ordeal. It's going to take an hour. And if I just need something quickly, I go to the local store. It's not a particularly great store, but it is very easy. So we, as a business, you can think about where you sit, you know, what kind of loyalty do you have with your customers? And if you don't have that upper right, like Amazon, we've got to think about how do we get there. So That was a very good... I love two-by-two matrices because they make something very complicated, mm-hmm. very easy. So yeah. everyone wants to get to the top right. And would you say for everyone who is not in the top right, it's about effortless experience. So for me, it was... And one concept and, you know, all the listeners, they should go, we're going to put the link to the book um, in the show notes, of course. So they should buy the book and read it. It's awesome. Everyone should have an effortless experience. But what does this mean concretely? And I don't want to talk about all concepts, but one thing that stood out to me was forward resolving. 
if you think that is one of the most important ones, uh, we can talk about this, but um, I, I want to take one, two, maximum three concepts um, from the book and talk about like things that just stick to the listeners. Yeah, mind. Yeah. So what's forward resolving and why is this important? Yeah. So forward resolving, uh, when I present this, and I think uh, Eric, you, you mentioned this when we, we first met, you, uh, the question I'll often ask if I'm on a stage and I'm presenting to people is what do you think the worst question is to ask your customer when they call you uh, for customer service? And in people, I've heard all kinds of crazy answers, by the way. But I think the worst question to ask is, have I fully resolved your issue today? Which is a question that we ask all the time at the end of a phone call or at the end of a chat or at the end of an email exchange. Have I taken care of your problem? It's very common, right? Very common. Or some version of it. Is there anything else I can do for you? And the reason that that's not a great question to ask is that it leads, the reason companies ask that question is they want to know how good are we doing at first contact resolution? You know, one and done, customer reaches out, we solve their problem. And the problem is that companies think they do a very good job. They think about 75, 80% of the time they resolve those issues the first time around. Unfortunately, customers think very differently. They think it's only about 40% of the time. And these are the same customers talking about those same issues with those very same companies. And so it raises this question, how could they see the world so differently? When we unpack this a little bit more, we ask a slightly different question, which is why do why do customers call back? Uh, what causes them to call back? And what we found is customers call back for two basic reasons. The first reason they call back is because we didn't solve their problem. That stands that's obvious, right? Uh, this happens because of human error. It happens sometimes because you call your bank and they say, Eric, the systems are down. Can you call back in 15 minutes? Um, these are we hear this stuff all the time, and companies are very focused on fixing those issues. But customers will often call back for what I call uh, downstream issues. So they will call back not because you didn't solve the problem they called about. They'll call back because there was you, solving that first problem caused or created another problem. Um, I'll give you a, a quick story here. To the Dyson issue. The Dyson issue. Yeah, I knew, you knew I was going to give that one. Um, <laughs> of course, it's a super awesome example. Please. Yeah. So. It's, and it's a great example. It'll illustrate, I think, of uh, forward resolution and what that means. So uh, what this was a personal story. So I, I have a Dyson vacuum cleaner. I think many of your uh, listeners probably do too. It's a cool, as in as much as vacuum cleaners can be cool, I guess that's the coolest vacuum cleaner you can have. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it's colorful. It's, it looks cool. It does, it does a good job. And so I was vacuuming my house and I, um, I hit a leg of a coffee table and uh, a piece popped off the side, and um, because you know this is what guys do. I'm pretty. I know guys in in the U.S. do this. I'm pretty sure guys in Germany do this too. Which is you try to tape it back on, right? Of you course. use the duct tape. You use the super glue. That's why duct tape is made That's for. That's what it's, it's made, made for. for. It, it fixes everything, except it didn't fix this part. So that what what ended up happening was there was so much air pressure against this part that I couldn't create a tight enough seal and it, it kept, then dust would start coming out and leaking out the sides of my duct tape uh, seal that I created. So I, I can imagine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we had work when he started to vacuum again. <laughs> yes. Um, so I, I, called, um, I called Dyson and I found a, I got a wonderful representative on the phone. She asked me to pull up my, my, she said, can you go on the browser on your phone and let's go to the Dyson website? And I did that. And she asked me like two or three questions and very quickly diagnosed which model I have because they have many different models. And we diagnosed which model. She took me to the part of the website where it had, you know, the exploded diagram of the vacuum cleaner shows how all the parts fit together. And we very quickly uh, diagnosed or she diagnosed that I was missing part number like 21J. It was called the dust filter cover. It's on the side of the vacuum cleaner. 
And at that point, if she, if she had said, we're going to send you one, have I fully resolved your issue today? I would have said, absolutely. Yes, you did a great job. That's a good example of first contact resolution. Uh, the company would have been happy. I would have been happy. However, this is where the call took an interesting twist. She, instead of saying, I'm going to send you a replacement part, she said, I'm going to send you two of those parts. And I said, well, hold on a second. I don't want to pay for two. I, you know, I, I only want to pay for one. And I'm an idiot, but I only broke it once. You know? And she said, no, no, no. Well, the reason I'm going to send you two is you may have noticed when you tried to duct tape it back on that the part has some little tabs and pins on it that are plastic. And, and um, what we find with this particular part is when people go to reinstall it, and no offense, but when guys go to reinstall it, they force it on there. And you, if you break any of those pins or tabs, you're going back to the duct tape solution because it won't maintain a seal. As you, as you could already t- sense, it's a lot of air pressure against that part. So what we'd like to do is send you two. That way, if you get it wrong on the first one, you have a backup. And if you get it right, you can keep the second one. It's, it's a gift from Dyson. Just put it in your, your garage or your basement with your other spare parts. Or gift it to another another guy who brings <laughs> back and cleaner. So I, at this point, I said, um, it was funny because I said, well, hold on a second. That's got to cost you guys a lot of money to give away parts like that. And she and then she said, uh, "Have I? I've got to go. Have I fully resolved your issue today?" And I said, "No, no, no. Hold on a second. I said I study this stuff for a living, so help me understand." And she said, "Well, if you must know, the part actually costs less than the phone call. So we would rather send you two now. That way, if it goes wrong the first time, you have a backup. It's better experience for you, and it doesn't cost. It, the, if you have to call us back, that's going to cost us more money. So don't tell anybody I told you that." And what I thought was fascinating was what you said, Eric, she wasn't just solving the issue I called about. She was forward resolving the issue I might call back about. I had no idea that this was a hard to install part, but Dyson has every, they know that because they make the, the darn thing and they experience this all the time. So they have as a policy, when this part breaks, give the customer two. It's a very smart way to think about it, to think about solving that problem that the customer doesn't realize yet is going to happen. But as a company, we know it's going to happen because we, we deal with this stuff all day long. So, and it's a, a good exercise for any listener. If you are a customer service manager, if you're a company leader or an executive, think about what are the issues we solve for our customers that end up creating downstream issues that they call back about? Because those are opportunities for your representatives to more holistically solve the entire issue or the whole event rather than just the thing the customer articulated. Because customers don't know what they don't know, right? But as, as companies, we should know more than they do about the problems they're experiencing with our products. Thank you, Matthew. This was a, was a super interesting example of one of the concepts that once you study this thing, you know about this. And if you want to learn more about forward resolving and other very cool metrics, you should very clearly buy his book and read it. I can clearly recommend it. And I'm also in the customer service space now for years. So that was a great example of, in an ideal world, these things wouldn't break. But we don't live in an ideal world. Things break, packages get lost, credit cards get stolen. You need to call customer service. Customer service will exist forever. That's right. But when there is customer service, make it effortless. Make it an effortless experience and delight overfulfill, but do it on a uh, do it on a very good level. And invest more into customer service because the agent you talk to, they need to have the time and the budget to send this. And I think that's something that I always try to push forward in this podcast. And also with SolveMate, we talk about meaningful conversations. We talk about have the conversations that matter, but 
we are automating things away that shouldn't be that shouldn't be there. So you made the example of the Amazon bot where it was very effortless and very easy for you. But if you have something else where you just need to call someone about a Dyson vacuum cleaner, you want to call someone and you want to get it resolved and you want to have a human. So. Mm-hmm. Dear customer service leaders, I can just stress that Matthew is an expert in this topic. He's written an incredible book on this, which I want to recommend. And I'm really happy to have you on the show here today, a true expert. And the last word, Matthew, yeah. is yours. What do you want to say to the listeners? <laughs> uh, well, first, thank, uh, thank you, Eric. It's, it's been Thank you for all the kind words and endorsement and recommendation of the book and for inviting me on the show today. Um, this has been a lot of fun, fun conversation. Um, and uh, I think... I think the um, uh, this Eric said when we started off said this is kind of like a bar conversation right like if, if people were eavesdropping <laughs> and we were talking this is so if you happen to run into two customer service uh, geeks like er, me and Eric who <laughs> eat sleep and drink uh, customer service this is what they would be talking about so hopefully you enjoyed that but one the last thing I'll share with you is you know and, and I think you know Eric a lot of the, the number one question I get from people about this is how do I um, how do I know whether we're creating a high effort or low effort experience for our customers and one of the things that came out of the book which you know about is the customer effort score right and many of your listeners will be familiar with this that was a creation from our research team that wrote the book and really is a survey question right how how easy did we make it for you to resolve your issue and when we wrote the book, it was a really great idea. There's one problem with that in today's world is that customers don't really fill out surveys the way that they once did. Um, we're all suffering from survey overload, right? And so what we've uh, done in, in my uh, day job at Tether, um, as uh, Eric mentioned earlier on, uh, we're an AI machine learning company. We're focusing on customer conversations. One of the things we do for companies is we predict using the conversational data, so the recorded phone call, the chat interaction, the email exchange, we, we can use that to predict using machine learning and a predictive model algorithm we built. Here's the survey score your customer would have given you on that interaction but without having to ask them in a survey to tell you, which of course, ironically, is itself a high effort experience for the customer to then fill out a survey after they just had a difficult experience. So this is a, an exciting new world that we're in where we can use this unstructured data and modern technology to help make that experience easier for the customer, including not having to ask them to fill out a survey to answer questions that we should already know the answers to. Um, so if anybody's interested in learning more about that, I'd be happy to pick up that conversation, tell them a little bit about what we're doing, or talk to them about the book and, and some of the research. That is something that I didn't cover enough in this podcast. Tether is something doing something super cool, um, what you just described. And machine learning is transforming customer experiences yeah. and predicting like machine learning is always about predicting something. So you're predicting the customer effort score and others and have actionable insights for clients. So Tether, that's T-E-T-H-R, a super cool company. Uh, you should go and check that out. Yep. Um, that was it for today on the show. The Art of Customer Service on my show today was Matthew Dixon, the author of The Effortless Experience and many other publications and Chief Research Officer at Tether. Thank you for joining the show today. Thank you, Eric. <laughs>